0: You find in Scripture, over and over again, the priority of of preaching the Word. We we live in a time where there's all kinds of of churches that are trying to do things a little bit different, looking and saying, how do we reach people? How do we reach people the best way that we possibly can? And so you find like all kinds of of methods, and I, I would say, in some cases, all kinds of gimmicks to try to to create an environment in which people will respond by their emotions, by whatever it is that you can do to make it so that, you know, there's fog machines or laser shows or, you know, interpretive dance or whatever it is that they do to try to make it so that um, they're able to reach our particular culture. And... We, we have such a passion to reach our culture today here at the church. We, we want the gospel to go forward, and we want people to hear, and we want their hearts to be softened, and we want them to come to, to, to faith in Christ. We want more than anything for people to, to believe upon him, to, to trust in him as their Savior and as their Lord and to follow them for all the days of their lives. But what we find in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit charges us with the specific responsibility of preaching the Word. Preaching the Word. You see, see Paul said to Timothy, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince Rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And it says, because there's going to be a time that will come when they won't endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. He says, but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And for... For us as, as elders here within, within our church, um, to fulfill the ministry that God's called us to do, it, it goes specifically with the preaching of the Word. The emphasis on the Word. Preaching the Word. What does the Word say? That's where we go verse by verse through Scripture to be able to say, this is what it says. This is how it af- applies to our lives. This is who God is, and this is how the Gospel is, is, is found in this particular passage and the, the, the holy calling of preaching the word. For those that would, would find it to be um, something that's outdated, we, we look and say, no, if the Holy Spirit calls us to do this, it, it can never be outdated, nor can you ever improve upon what God has called us to do. I say that for this reason, because you go into the book of Acts, and we are going to look this morning at a sermon that Peter preached, the first sermon that's preached here at Pentecost. And you find a response that comes from the people. So we're going to go through a sermon this morning, a sermon specifically that Peter preached. But the response of the people, as we look at, the passage. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, the preaching of the word, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. The idea of, of a knife just going right through them to their heart. It, it, it pierced them. It impacted them. It changed them. They're hearing a sermon that, that goes forward and as a result, they are cut to the heart. It, it affected them. It changed them. It wasn't something that was like, well, that, that, that's interesting and I should think about that and maybe later on at some point I'll, I'll you know, reconsider these things. It, it wasn't that way at all. It, it cut right through them. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And then it says, and With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Incredible. 3,000 souls were added to the church. You see, the setting here is the day of Pentecost has come. Fifty days have passed since the Passover. A feast is being celebrated. 120 that are gathered together there on that particular Sunday morning. And there comes a sound from heaven as a rushing, mighty wind. This powerful, powerful sound enters into this this room and this house. With a group of people that 's far smaller than even what 's here this morning and, the, and, and, and there 's a noise that 's so powerful that people start coming. they come and they want to know what what the sound is that that occurred. A multitude came together verse six tells us, and they 're hearing tongues and they 're hearing it in their own languages and The Holy Spirit is coming, and he is going to do a radical, radical work in this place. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given, and God is working to bring the gospel global. It's going to go throughout the whole world. There's Jews that have come from all over the place for this particular festival, People are speaking in tongues that they don't know, languages that they don't know, speaking to where people from all different regions are hearing what's being said in their own language by Galileans who clearly cannot speak their language, and they know that it is an act of God, that God is doing something miraculous. How else can they understand these languages? And the gospel's going global. God is going to do an amazing, amazing work through the church as his Holy Spirit works through the church. And so this is occurring, and there's people that are seeing these things, and they're, they're asking one another, what, what could this mean? What, what is going on here? There's tongues and, 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 and people speaking in, in our languages, and they don't know our languages, yet they're speaking in our languages. And they're, they're talking about the wonderful works of God. They're saying things that are so clear about the wonderful works of God Whatever could this mean? And, and other people are mocking, saying, these guys are full of new wine. They're drunk. These people are drunk. How else are they speaking like this? They're drunk. And Peter stands up. Now, now remember that, that Peter, it has not been that long since he denied Christ three times. He denied Christ three times, even before a, a little girl denies Christ. The, it, it, it hasn't been, but 50 days since they watched their Lord be crucified there on a cross after being beaten brutally. They're still in Jerusalem. They're still in that same place in which that torture occurred and they fled and they're hiding and they're denying Christ Peter three times. But now Peter stands up and there's a multitude that's there before him people that have come from all over. And we don't know the exact number of people that are there, but we do know that it started with 120. And we know that when he's done with this sermon, 3,000 people are going to come to know Christ. 3,000 people are going to follow Christ. 3,000 people are going to repent of their sins. So Peter's there before thousands. Before thousands of people. And he stands up with the 11. Verse 14. And he raises his voice. And begins to preach to them. What an awesome scene. No microphone. Nothing like that. He's there and these people have come. Because there's this sound of this rushing wind that is there. And the people are speaking in languages that are unknown to, to them. But that others are understanding. The wonderful works of God's being proclaimed and now Peter's there before thousands of people and he begins to speak in the most powerful way before all of these people. He says to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. They are not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's a feast day. We don't even eat or drink until after nine o'clock in the morning. And these Jews never would have broken the law to do that, as it was the custom at that particular time. So they're there. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And. Peter tells them, they're not drunk. So he's about to bring to them a prophecy. He says in verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. They're not drunk, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, more than likely, the Jews that lived at that time would have known immediately what took place in the book of Joel. They would have known that that the book of Joel begins by saying, Hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? So so listen to this. Has anything like this ever happened before? Tell your children about it, let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. It, it begins this way. Everything's gone. Tell your children and their children. Have them tell their children. They knew this story. They knew that there was a time in the history of God's people where the locusts came and they ate everything. Whatever one group of locusts didn't eat, the other one ate. They swarmed. They ate it. The crawling locusts ate everything. And what the crawling locusts left, the consuming locusts have eaten. God's judgment has come upon these people. In chapter two, it goes from there to God saying, I'm going to restore these things. I'm going to restore to you the years of the swarming locusts and what they've eaten and the crawling locusts and the consuming locusts and the chewing locusts and the great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who's dealt wondrously with you and the people shall never be put to shame. So in the midst of this, we find that he goes to verse 6 to 17 and says, begins to quote from the book of Joel and this is where this lands. It shall come to pass in the last days, says, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. He begins by quoting from Joel. These things are going to happen. Joel was talking about this. Joel was a prophet from God. God spoke through him saying, these things are going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in the lives of believers and the gospel's going global. All kinds of people of all ages are going to be ministering the gospel. Whether you're still a child or whether you're elderly, the Holy Spirit will be working in you and through you. Whether you're a servant or whether you're wealthy, regardless of it, the God is going to work in you and he is going to do this mighty, mighty work through his people. And Peter's saying, this event, what Joel was talking about, is what you are seeing. This is coming to fruition. What, what we read about it back then, what we told our children and heard from our parents, and they, our children told their children, and we so on and so forth, this is occurring. This is what you're seeing. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what Joel said. These are events that have happened. These are events that are happening, And these are events that you're going to find occurring. And we will find them as, even as you go through the book of Revelation. You see these events occurring. These are things that you're going to see happening. And, and Peter's saying to these thousands of people, God was going to restore. He is doing that work today. This is what he's accomplishing. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Joel said, and that is true today. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So men of Israel, hear these words Peter calls them towards. Listen to it, and when he says men, he's referring to all the people that are there. Hear these words. Listen to what Joel said. Listen to what I'm saying. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Here is a group of people that would have been there with the palm branches. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a week later they're saying crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. They would have been there watching Christ be crucified. The one that they also had seen do miracle after miracle after miracle. Some of these people present would undoubtedly had drank the wine from, from him that he made as far as at the wedding or, or ate some of the, the fish and the loaves in which he multiplied or knew somebody that was blind that was made able to see or knew someone that was a leper that was made clean or knew someone that was deaf that was able to hear or knew someone that was mute that was able to speak or knew someone that was paralyzed that was able to walk knew someone that that such as lazarus who was dead that was caused to rise again from the dead there were multitudes following him throughout the entirety of his life seeing these things take place over and over and over again there's 120 that are believers that are in there right now but out of these thousands of people they had watched all of this occur even him be nailed to the cross. And so Peter saying to them, listen to me. He did these miracles. He did these wonders. He did these signs. God did it through him in your midst. You all know these things. You all saw these things. He was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. That, 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 section there is important. Christ did not go to the cross because the people had an uprising and put him to death and they never should have done that. Christ went to the cross because it was according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. We, we find it in Scripture to where, like Revelation 13 and verse 8, it says that he's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever created, he was the lamb that was slain. He created a world in which he would go to the cross. In Acts chapter 4, and verse 27, it says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, I'm speaking to, to God in a prayer, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand, to be done. These guys did whatever your hand and God, your purpose, determined beforehand to be done. The cross was something that was planned by God. The cross was something that was, was foreknown and, and, and told, this will occur. In fact, we know this through scripture. You find over and over again the pictures of the cross that are presented to us from From Adam and Eve and their leaves covering them and God saying that that's not adequate and him killing the animals and making tunics for them and covering them with that, the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Um, Abel's offering being acceptable but not Cain's because Abel's was a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. You have all the pictures of the sacrifices in Scripture. You have Passover and the killing of a, a, a lamb without spot or blemish all of these pictures that you have in, in Scripture pointing ahead to Christ who is to come. And so Peter saying to them, this was determined. It was by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And so he's there and he's proclaiming it. You, you find Paul telling Timothy the same thing. He, he, Paul says, Timothy... Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. The gospel, the message of the gospel can be preached through the Old Testament as well as through the New Testament. But Paul, St. Timothy, This was God's plan before the world began. John is recording in in Revelation the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And we have Peter here in this particular sermon saying, He was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. But you have taken by lawless hands. You've crucified him and put him to death. It was determined, but you're still fully responsible for what you've done. Does that make sense? God God had this as far as decreed that this would take place, but you're fully responsible for the wickedness of what you've done in taking Christ by your lawless hands and crucifying him and putting him to death. And so, he says, listen to this. But verse 24 goes on and says, but God raised him up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. God raised him up. He rose again from the dead, loosed the pains of death. It was not possible that he would be held. And then going to Psalm 16, he begins to quote again. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you, have not, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne he foreseen this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses so Peter saying you know in Psalm 16 when it says this about David it's not talking about David. We could go and we could see where David was buried. David has a tomb. We know where David was buried. But Jesus, this was speaking of him. When it says that, that he'd be raised up, when it says that, that he would not leave his soul in Hades and he wouldn't allow his Holy One to see corruption, this was not referring to David because we could go to David's tomb. This was referring to Christ. This was pointing ahead to Christ. So Peter preaches this. This Jesus God has raised up, and we are all witnesses, pointing to a group of people, whoever it is. We're witnesses. We've seen him. We know this to be the case. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says... Himself, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's ascended, He died, He rose again, and He's ascended. And now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It affected them. It wasn't something where they heard this and thought, well, you, you bring up some good arguments. The Holy Spirit is working mightily in this group. They're listening to Peter preach, and Peter's just going through and saying, Joel, when it's talking about Joel, that was talking about Christ. David in Psalm 16, talking about Christ. Again, David speaking about till I make your enemies your footstool and and, and the ascension of Christ and being at the right hand of the Father, it's referring to Christ. All of that is referring to Christ. He was crucified according to the plan of God. He rose again according to the plan of God. He's ascended to, to heaven according to the plan of God. We have seen this. We're witnesses to this. And the people are cut to the heart. They're listening to this saying, we crucified him. We saw all of the miracles that he did. We witnessed all of these things. We saw that he was without sin. They knew their guilt. They knew what they had done. They're they're looking at the the words of of what we find in the Psalms and what you find there within the book of Joel. And this is just scratching the surface of the Old Testament prophecies that are pointing ahead to Christ. But they're hearing this, and it just cuts right through them, changes them. They say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? It's the response that you want from any sermon, isn't it? What do we do? What do we do with this? For you here this morning, You may be here this morning and and may not be a believer this morning. If Christ planned from the very beginning that he would go to the cross. If Christ gave all throughout the Old Testament, prophecy after prophecy, detail after detail, where he would be born, Bethlehem. Detail and detail of how he would live, how he would die. Details of the crucifixion given, his hands pierced. Details given before crucifixion was ever even invented. Perfect details. Everything that he would say, all of these details. We see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle of our Lord recorded in Scripture. Upon seeing that, we look and we see that he died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. They're all witnesses of it. There's all of the the disciples. There's the women. There's 500 people that saw him at one time. The resurrection. There's the ascension of Christ there at the right hand of the Father. The Messiah has come. Was born, was laid in a manger just as God had said. Lived a perfect life, fulfilled all holiness and was put to death just as had been planned, recorded thousands of years before it took place. That ought to cut through your heart. Whatever is in your heart that says, I don't want to believe. I don't want to follow him. I'll tell you, there's 3,000 people that are at this particular place, and God just cut right through them. It changed them. In the most powerful Powerful way to where they're saying, what do we do now? What do we do? And Peter says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Now notice this. He gives them very specific things. This is what you're supposed to do. You need to repent. The idea of repenting is, is to make a radical change and to go in the opposite direction. There, need to be, there, there needs to be a change that takes place in your life. You need to forsake everything that you have been going after. Turn your direction and follow Christ fully. You need to forsake all of the sins that, that you were just so saturated by and desire to go in a direction of pleasing God. You need to repent. I think so often today we we just say, like, write your name on this card. Or just just repeat these words after me and then you're okay. It's it's not what this says. It's saying there needs to be a change that occurs. Repent. Repent. Go in the opposite direction and then be baptized. This picture of faith that that when Christ died, you died with him. When he rose again, you rose again with him. Identify yourselves with Christ. Before all of these people that hate us, that just put our Lord to, to death 50 days ago, we're asking you, be baptized. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For those that would, would, would look at the gift of the Holy Spirit and that baptism of the Holy Spirit and say, well, th- this is something, that is something that occurs later and you've got to pray for it and some people don't get it and some people may get it and so on and so forth. It's saying, upon faith in Christ, upon regeneration, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come in you. And it all comes through faith in Christ. In Romans chapter 4, it says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. It's through believing in Christ. A Repentance that, that is forsaking the life that you once lived, and your faith and your hope and your belief is in Christ and Him crucified. He died for you. He is your Messiah. He is your Savior. He is your Lord, and you're following Him. Peter goes on and says, For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off. As many as the Lord our God will call. This promise that's given. It goes to you. It goes to your children. It goes to all who are far off. It's going global. It's going throughout the entire world. Jews and Gentiles. People living there in in Jerusalem on that particular day and people living here in Orange County at this particular time. All who are far off. As many as the Lord your God will call. As many as the Lord your God will call. So the question is, have we been called? Has the Holy Spirit used his word to pierce, cut through the heart of us? Calling upon us to say, what shall we do? And did we respond with, repent and be baptized and have the Holy Spirit reside within us? Many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. He said lots of other stuff, Luke's saying. He said all kinds of other stuff, but it's centered around be saved from this perverse generation. And I'd say to you this morning, be saved from this perverse generation that we live in today. Be saved. Then those Who gladly received his word were baptized. Every part of scripture is just absolutely vital to us to hear and understand. They were cut to the heart. I mean, it it pierced them what they heard. But what is the response? They gladly received the word, there's joy. For us this morning as believers, and, and, and you think of the day of your salvation, for someone who here is here this morning that's not a believer, the day of salvation for you is one in which your sin is exposed, your need of repentance is exposed, that God reveals that he is your Savior and he is your Lord, and whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we hear this, and the Lord does this work in our hearts, and we gladly receive his word there's joy there's an incredible joy in knowing my sins can be removed every sin that i've ever committed can be removed it can be replaced with the very righteousness of christ and it's not based upon my wages it's not what's due to me but it's based upon faith in christ even abraham believed and it was accounted unto him for righteousness it could be the same for me to believe and to have it accounted unto me for righteousness No wonder they gladly received his word. And then they were baptized. They gladly received his word. They believed in him. And then they said, let's be baptized now. We want to obey him. We want to identify ourselves with him. He is our Lord. He's our savior. He's our God. We have been cut to the heart. And everything's changed in us now. We want to follow him. And on that day... 3,000, about 3,000 souls were added to them. You may read the sermon of Peter here and think, I've heard better. I mean, not at this church, but I've heard better at other places. I've heard better. It's not a matter of, was Peter clever enough? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a matter of, did, did he destroy every argument and every question these people could ever possibly have? It dealt with the fact that the gospel was going global. It dealt with the fact that the Holy Spirit was working. It dealt with the fact that the Holy Spirit was causing his word to cut right to the heart of people, and they were going to hear it, and they were going to follow him. They will be baptized and follow him. I love the boldness of Peter. Thousands of people, and he doesn't care. Why? Because his Savior had forgiven him. He had watched his Savior die. He had denied his Savior three times, and his Savior restored him and loved him. He saw his Savior risen again from the dead, and there's nothing that would cause him to ever deny Christ again. He doesn't care if he's in Jerusalem. He doesn't care that he can be put to death. He's going to preach to the thousands of people that are there. And something tells me Peter does not regret it one bit. In fact, some years later when he's crucified upside down, he doesn't regret one time that he preached the word. Thousands of people come to know Christ. The gospel going forward from Jerusalem to Judea to even the uttermost parts of this world even here on a different continent in the United States of America. The gospel went global. The Holy Spirit was doing a work. From those 12, from those 120, from those 3,000, you have millions and millions of Christians today and millions that have existed over the last 2,000 years. God accomplished his purpose. The Holy Spirit worked mightily, and the Holy Spirit works mightily today. This is the God that we serve. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the passage before us. I thank you for the mighty work of your Holy Spirit that gave boldness to Peter and brought salvation to the people who were listening. To thank Lord, that you are able to cut to our hearts, to pierce us in such a way that the response is simply, what can I do? And the response from you is to repent, to be baptized, to identify yourself with Christ and to follow him, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and it all comes by faith in you alone. May we on this morning receive your word gladly. May we have a passion to go like Peter and proclaim the gospel near and far. And may we live for you with boldness, not ashamed to preach the gospel. Not ashamed to tell people of our Savior. For we know that our Redeemer lives. We know that he lives. We know that he's ascended into heaven and he's at the right hand of the Father. And he makes intercession for us daily. Thank you for the gospel, Lord. Thank you that we could gladly receive your word and gladly follow you. May we gladly worship you now. May We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.